Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. So I'm a huge sports fan. Ironically, I'm not very athletic, but I'm actually really talented as a fan, all right? So you want me cheering for you, you want me cheering for your team. I'm also really humble as a fan. But here's the thing that I've noticed in the sporting world. I've been following sports since I was a young boy. And there's this weird thing that happens in the sporting world that doesn't happen in life. And the weird thing is this, that the sporting world, sports organizations and teams, they actually get what's called a rebuilding year. It's a year where they actually can be really terrible. It's a year where they can evaluate and reevaluate, where they get rid of old things and they bring in new things. And the fans are okay with it. The sports organization and the leaders of that organization are okay with it because they know that they're building for a better future. They're building on new things and they believe that the best really will be yet to come. I began to think about how the sporting world gets a rebuilding year. And what if in life, you and I got a rebuilding year? What if in life, you and I had a season where we could actually be intentional about rebuilding, especially after last year. I mean, come on, we went through a pandemic and it's not gone. We're still going through it, but last year was tough, right? I think we need a rebuilding year just to process what happened last year. Maybe for you, before last year is when you needed your rebuilding year. Maybe 2019 was tough and then 2020 just doubled down. I think we could use a rebuilding year. Maybe you went through a divorce. And recovering from a divorce is difficult. Maybe you went through a breakup and now you're on your own and you're trying to process what that means. Maybe you did it again and you didn't want to do it again, but it caused a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow in your life. Or maybe they did it again and it caused you a lot of pain. Maybe there's something I'm not even talking about that you are aware of, but I'm not aware of, and you need a rebuilding year. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could evaluate and reevaluate? Wouldn't it be great if we had a season where we could go to therapy or counseling or join a group or perhaps start serving, surround ourselves with people that build us up, that encourage us, that uplift us, that help us to be courageous? Like, if the sporting world gets that, how much more beneficial would it be for you and I to get that in life? What if we could have a rebuilding year over the next four weeks? We're going to talk about what it means to rebuild. And I'm so glad you're joining us. If this is your first time with us watching or listening, my name is Mike and I serve on the team. And it's such a privilege to have you a part of the story that God is writing here at Active. And over the next four weeks, we just want to talk about God's pattern for rebuilding because I think a lot of us, we need to rebuild even in the little things in life. Obvious in the major things, right? But even in the minor things, we need to rebuild. We need restoration. We need redemption. We need God and we need God's direction. And so over the next four weeks, we want to identify what God can do in us and through us, acknowledge some of the areas that we want to grow in and and then choose to actually grow. And here's why this is so important for you and me. We are created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. Come on. We are created on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not an oops. I don't care how you got here. God thought about you, created you, uniquely and wonderfully made, and he placed you on this planet on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose. You have greatness inside of you because you've been created by a great God, and God wants to bring that out of you. And maybe perhaps... This next season is a season where you need a rebuilding year. You need some space and you need some grace so that you can rebuild. Starting today, 
we want to walk through the four phases of rebuilding. And we're going to use what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah is a real person who really lived, who had a real issue, and he pursued the real God. And we're going to look at what he did in his letter that's found in the Old Testament. And what we'll find is that this is actually God's pattern for rebuilding because God loves to restore and God loves to renew. God is a God who loves to grow you up and help you to mature. Nehemiah's story actually opens in the first chapter with some very difficult and heavy words. See, Nehemiah is a part of Israel. And Israel was in a season where they were coming out of exile. Now, exile is when a nation comes into another nation and dominates it and then literally kidnaps them and brings them to their nation and then treat them as slaves. And so they leave their nation, have to go to a brand new nation, and then they're mistreated. They're looked at second-class citizens. And so the Israelites went through that for years. Well, they're at the tail end of this exile. And they're beginning to return to Israel, specifically Jerusalem. It's like their hometown. It's the city of God to them. Just like Yucaipa for many of you is the city of God, right? And Jerusalem was that for them. But here's the really powerful thing about Jerusalem. This city represented God to them. This is where they worshiped God and served God and loved others as they loved God. When they got back, the city was in ruins. The walls that protected it were crushed. And it wasn't just about like, this is our hometown. Look at our hometown. It actually carried deeper weight and deeper meaning. For the Israelites, the city represented God to the people. And with God not being there, at least the walls being crushed, there was this belief that maybe perhaps God left them. And then the nations would look at Jerusalem and they would say, well, if the city is in ruins, that must mean that God isn't real. And the Israelites were dealing with not just the loss of their hometown, but maybe perhaps the loss of God, which wasn't true, but that's what they were processing. Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem, and when he hears about Jerusalem, his heart breaks. This is the city of God. This is his hometown. This is where his people lived and worshiped God and loved each other. And he wants to do something about it. He wants to do something about the city. He wants to rebuild the city. And through some powerful circumstances, Nehemiah actually begins to lead the rebuilding effort. And it's in his letter that we actually see four phases of rebuilding. Those four phases look like this. One, if you want to rebuild, you got to own the problem. Two, if you want to rebuild, you got to make a plan and then you got to work the plan. Three, if you want to rebuild, you got to push through the opposition. And then four, if you want to rebuild, you got to finish strong. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at each of those four phases of rebuilding. And I'm believing because of the story of Nehemiah, I'm believing that on the other side of rebuilding is restoration and redemption and better stories. So let's take a look at the first step to rebuild If you and I want to start rebuilding our stories, it begins with owning the problem. And here's what we're going to learn, that it's never too late to start again. You're never too old. Your past is never too much. It's never too late to start again. I don't care where you find yourself in life. God says you can rebuild. And the story of Nehemiah is the exclamation point behind that statement. You can always restart again. You can always build again. It's never too late. You're one decision away from a better story. And it's in the story of Nehemiah that we learn that. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about what it means to own the problem. I don't want it to be ambiguous. I want to get very practical. I want to talk about how it affects us when we own the problem. And then I want to give you one practical way forward that will be woven through each of these four weeks because this is the most important thing that we're going to need to hang on to, all right? So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 1? If you have the Bible app, Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll start 
in verse 1. He begins to write these words, his own words. He says, the words of Nehemiah, just in case you didn't know, he was writing this. He's saying, I'm a real person. He says, the son of Hakali in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. This is so important. It's just one sentence, but here's what Nehemiah is saying. I'm a real person. This really happened. These are real people, and we were pursuing the real God, and we wanted to rebuild. He actually timestamps this for us. This isn't once upon a time. This isn't fiction. This isn't when you wish upon a star. This is Nehemiah saying this really happened. And I want to tell you the story because it's powerful and important. Then verse 2, he says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, listen to what happens. When I heard these things, I sat down, I wept, and for some days I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. It's in these words that we actually see what it means to own the problem. See, for Nehemiah, he recognized that if he's going to own the problem, he has to feel all the feelings. And if you're going to own the problem, whatever you're facing so that you can rebuild, You have to do the same thing. You have to feel all the feelings. Nehemiah, when he heard this information, he said, I sat down because it was overwhelming. He said, I began to cry. I wept because I was sad. My heart was broken. He said, I grieved. I mourned. And then he says, I did it for some days. Like he sat in the feelings for at least a couple of days. Who knows how long some days means when he writes that. Could be weeks. But he sat in the feelings, which is an announcement that it's okay to feel all the feelings. And then Nehemiah says, and then I fasted. I turned my attention to the God who tells better stories. Listen, these emotions and these actions, they're tough, right? They're tough because they represent real pain. Something difficult, something painful is happening in the life of Nehemiah, and he acknowledges it. And I think we can learn from that because you and I, we often will avoid all pain at all costs, right? Physical pain, emotional pain. We like to fill our life with distractions so that we don't have to feel anything. But listen, if we're going to rebuild, rebuilding begins in your story when you feel all the feelings. Something great was lost. And it's okay to say, I lost it. It's gone. Something sacred is taken. It's okay to mourn that and to grieve that. And the reason why we have to feel all the feelings, the reason why we have to sit in our feelings is so that we can process it in a healthy way. Acknowledge what's happening inside of us because if you don't process it in a healthy way, it'll actually come out of you later on in a harmful way. That's why a lot of us are angry, irritable. That's why a lot of us rage because we haven't dealt with the problems and the issues and the sins of our past, we haven't felt all the feelings. We haven't owned the problem. That's why we're not rebuilding. Man, I hope you have somebody in your life that helps you own the problem by feeling all the feelings. If you don't have somebody in your life, I want to give you permission to feel all the feelings. I've got some good people in my life. I'm grateful for them. And they've allowed me to feel all the feelings. There was a moment just about four years ago at Active where we had a heartbreaking situation take place. And I was asked to actually lead the charge to communicate it and figure out what we do next. And it was something that we didn't anticipate or expect. And it was heartbreaking. It was hard. It was heavy. And so my first step was actually to call Pastor James. He's our worship pastor here at Active Church. 
And I asked him if he would meet with me. And so we went to a local coffee shop. And at that coffee shop, I began to share with him all that had taken place, this heartbreaking situation that we didn't anticipate or expect. And I was sharing with him. And I thought I was doing so good. I put on my pastor hat, my boss hat, my friend hat. And I was sharing it very eloquently and very clearly. And at the end of the conversation, I said, James, do you have any questions for me? And he said, yeah, just one. He grabbed my arm. And he says, Mike, are you okay? What a question to ask me. Of course I'm okay. I'm the boss. I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. I'm a Christian. I'm the man, right? And I'm like, of course I'm okay. Why would you ask that question? And he says, because you don't look okay. And I realized that as I was sharing with him all of this heavy and hard and heartbreaking information, my whole body was shaking. My arms were literally shaking. My body was convulsing back and forth. I thought I was doing well. But what I realized, all of my anxiety and my nerves and my emotions and my feelings were trying to come out, and I just kept stuffing them back down. And James, in that moment, gave me permission to feel it, and it allowed me to process in a really healthy way, or at least start the process to be healthy so that these emotions don't come out harmful. And listen, after this last year, maybe after the last few years, I think a lot of us, we need to feel all the feelings, and deal with our pain in a healthy and holy way. You know, there's a letter in the Bible called Lamentations. It's the diary of the prophet Jeremiah, and it's him just sitting in his feelings. It's kind of depressing, to be honest with you, but it's in this letter that we actually learn that it's okay to sit in our feelings. And remember, feelings aren't weak. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, in those moments when I'm weak, I find that God, Jesus Christ, is strong in me. In fact, in my weakness, I am made perfect in God's strength. This is the process of healing for us when we feel all the feelings. And we want to be strong. But listen, strength is embracing the difficulty, not masking the difficulty, so that we can experience healing in the difficulty. I'm going to say that one more time because I know it was good. Strength is embracing the difficulty, not masking the difficulty, so that we can experience healing in the difficulty. And Nehemiah was a great leader. And so it's encouraging to know that he wept and he was sad and he prayed and processed. He sat in the feelings because he wanted to own the problem. But listen, when you feel all the feelings, don't stay there. I think that's why we don't want to feel all the feelings because we feel like, is this forever? Do I have to feel bad forever? No. What you do with those feelings when you're feeling them is process those feelings in prayer. Like, take it to God. Have a conversation with God, an authentic, real, vulnerable, God, I'm mad, God, I'm sad conversation. Nehemiah did. Listen to his words. Verse 5 of chapter 1. This is his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with us and with those who love him and keep his commandments. He starts by saying, God, I know who you are. and I know what you do. I'm just going to acknowledge that. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I'm praying before you day and night and for your servants, the people of Israel. And then he says, I confess the sins of Israel, including myself and my father's family. I confess those sins that we've committed against you. Like he acknowledges that maybe it's messy because we caused it. He would only recognize that because he felt all the feelings. He's owning the problem. Then he says, remember the instruction you gave Moses. Like, God, I know that you're a God who keeps his promises, but could I remind you that you said you're a God who keeps his promises? So I'm going to throw a promise at you, and I'm just going to remind you to keep this. That's exactly what he's saying here. Like, it's not disrespectful. He's just being honest with God. He says, remember the instruction you gave Moses saying, if we're unfaithful, you'll scatter us, but you will return. And if we obey your commands, 
even if we're exiled to the farthest horizon, that you said you will gather us and bring us back because we are in your name. We're your dwelling place. We live with you. You live with us. And then he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Ooh, what a prayer, right? And you might say, I can't pray like that. Yeah, you can. Just be honest and feel all the feelings. And then bring that before God because prayer is the first step of action when you're rebuilding your story. And the reason why prayer feels like something we should do after we do everything else is because we've treated prayer that way. When something tragic happens, we send thoughts and prayers, right? The intention is pure, but the reality is, is we're not really doing anything. It's our way of saying, hey, I hope it gets better, but I'm not going to help it get better, right? But when we actually pray, what we're saying is, I'm going to go before God, the God of all creation, and I'm going to ask him to do a great work, a work that is beyond what you can ask for, or imagine. Nehemiah knew that if change was going to come, he's going to need the strength of God to bring it. And you know what's interesting? Notice his prayer wasn't just for him. It was for those that are around him, those that he loves and he's learning to love. Because when you own the problem, it helps you to identify with the pain of others. You know why we're at odds with each other? It's because we've lost the ability to empathize and sympathize. You know who taught us how to empathize and sympathize? Jesus. Isn't the answer always Jesus, right? But in this case, it is Jesus. What a great Messiah. What an incredible Savior. What an awesome God who came to serve us. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus understands our humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. Jesus can empathize and sympathize with us because he walked a mile in our shoes and experienced everything we experienced, and he conquered the sin that we couldn't conquer. And so he has compassion and love and grace. He chooses to love us. He did this in a moment when his friend Lazarus died, and he saw Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And he shows up, not to fix the problem. You know what? He shows up and John says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. He mourned with those who mourned and he wept with those who wept. What if we did that? What if we did that? You know, like Jesus does for us. What if we just paused for a moment and wept with those who wept? Allowed them to feel all the feelings. What if we mourned with those who mourned? Allowed them to grieve the loss or the thing that was taken? You know what we do in those moments? We like to escape we like to ignore. We like to replace it with something personally. And then in relationship, we like to fix. We like to solve the problem. We like to put a bow on it. But you know what Jesus does in those moments? Jesus actually says, I see you. I'm with you. I have your back. And I am a God who never leaves you or turns his back on you. Jesus doesn't show up with a platitude with Mary and Martha after they lose their brother. He doesn't show up and say, hey, listen, there's a reason for this. Listen, I want you to know that God has a plan for this. Jesus doesn't show up and say, hey, listen, I'm going to resurrect him from the dead. Why are you crying? Jesus shows up and weeps with those who weep, and he mourns with those who mourn. And he teaches us what empathy and sympathy look like. Man, if you own the problem, you feel all the feelings and you process in prayer, but it allows you to identify with the pain of others too. You become so compassionate and so gracious. But not only that, you experience something from God that we all want. When you actually own the problem, you get to experience soul-level comfort deep within your bones, knowing that no matter what, God's got this. Jesus is with you. And Jesus even announced that. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
If you don't want to feel all the feelings, then you, according to Jesus, are putting yourself in a category where you're not going to experience the comfort of God. Feeling all the feelings actually opens up your heart to God doing a great work in your heart. Processing in prayer allows you to talk with that God. You can identify with the pain of others, and then you can experience God doing a great work in you. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you filled with worry? Feel all the feelings. Process in prayer, and you'll experience the God of the universe sitting with you and moving things forward, healing you, and redeeming your heart and your soul. You want to rebuild? Own the problem by feeling all the feelings and processing in prayer. Now, before I let you go, I want to give you one thing that's going to weave all the way through this conversation. All right? This is the most practical thing that we need to hang on to. Something you probably know. If you're new to this, maybe it might be the thing that you learned today. But when you're rebuilding your story, trust God with the outcomes of your story. Do you know who is for you? Do you know who is with you? Do you know who is on your side? Come on. The prophet Isaiah did. And as he was speaking to the Israelites, as they were going through a lot of nonsense, a lot of junk, some they caused, some that was caused upon them, Isaiah stands up and begins to shout these words to the Israelites. He says in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 28, Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord, your God, is an everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. You will. He won't. And his understanding, no one can fathom. I'm not sure why he's for us because we're a mess, but he's with us because he loves us. I don't understand that, but I'm glad he's with us. And then he says, he gives strength to the weary. Are you weary? He increases the power of the weak. Are you weak? Are you afraid to show your weakness? I can't feel all the feelings. He says, I'm in those moments. Even though you grow tired and weary. Yeah, I know you might have that toddler at home that runs around and you're like, where does he get his energy from? And you're thanking God when he actually goes to bed. Like he even gets tired. She even gets tired, right? But what Isaiah says is God doesn't. Young men will stumble and fall. And then listen to these words and let these words be words that you carry with you. Like tattoo these words across your forehead so that you can remember them and see them. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know what Isaiah is saying here? I will remember, God, who you are. I will remember, God, what you've done. I will choose to remain close because you are God and you got this. Isaiah is saying, I believe that all of my outcomes in my story are holy and hopeful in the hands of God. You want to rebuild? Got to own the problem. And owning the problem is when you feel all the feelings, And when you take those feelings and you process those feelings, could we join you? Could we come alongside of you? I want to invite you to invite us, pray alongside of you. Would you trust us with what's spinning in your heart? I want to invite you to text prayer to the number that you see on the screen. And only our team is going to see this. And it'll prompt you to actually send your prayer. You can share as much as you want or as little as you want. It won't get shared anywhere else. It's just for our team. And this is the privilege that we have. We get to pray with you. We get to process in prayer with you. So just let this moment be a moment where you lay out what it is that's in your heart to God, and we want to join you in that. So would you text prayer to the number that you see on the screen? And may I pray for you. Heavenly Father, pray for those watching and those listening, that they would be able to own the problem so that they can experience restoration and redemption. I pray that they would feel everything that they need to feel, They would not ignore it so that they can actually process in a healthy and holy way instead of having those feelings come out in a very 
harmful way. And then, God, I pray that they would trust in you by processing in prayer and knowing that you got this. You are God and we are not, right? And that, God, you don't grow tired or weary, even if we do. And that you will help us to soar on eagle's wings. What a picture, God. So I pray for my friends that are watching or listening. Strengthen them, encourage them, help them to rebuild. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local to the Redlands or Yukaipa area, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa and 10 a.m. in Redlands. See you next time.